Hey church, thanks for joining me for another message. We've spent the last three months in the book of James, and so now it's time for a new series. We're going to spend the next five or so weeks working through a series which we've called Lessons from Lockdown. Some of you might recall that about 12 months ago, just a little bit more, we actually worked through a series with the same name. And in this series, we look at scripture and we reflect on some moments where people spent time in isolation. You see, we can often feel like what we're going through is so unique that no one else has gone through something similar before. We can feel like it's so unique that how can God's word possibly speak to us at this time? But what we see is that when we look at God's word, that there are so many occasions where people in scripture went through times of quarantine, times of isolation, times of lockdown. There are people who spent time Uh, times where they were lonely, where they uh, certainly were despairing because of what they were facing. And so we're going to spend some time pulling some of these out. We're going to spend a couple of weeks also um, sharing some of our own reflections on this period of time, sharing our own reflections on uh, what God has been saying to us through this time where we've faced something that many of us uh, certainly would not have expected to have faced. And so as we begin this series, would you um, join me as we pray? Lord, we thank you that your word speaks to us in every circumstance, in every season, in every moment. Lord God, that you have a word for us. Father, we thank you that the truth of your scripture prevails. Lord, that it isn't uh, locked only in in the time when it was written and, and of no relevance to us today. Lord God, but it is so pertinent, so relevant to us. Father, that we can look at the season that we're facing now and, Lord, we can look at your word and we can see what you would say to us, how you would have us live, how you would have us think, how you'd have your Holy Spirit transform our lives. And so we pray as we um, open this series together that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I've got a great message to share with you, which I'm really excited for us to look at. Because if we look back at Scripture, particularly if we go back to the Old Testament where we're going to spend our time today, uh, there are names of of significant figures that I'm sure you're familiar with. You could pull out a number of those uh, big names. But today we're going to look at uh, someone who is certainly not a big name, someone who is certainly not a figure that you might have heard spoken on uh, frequently before. Because in Scripture... There's these moments, sometimes these people who appear only for a couple of chapters, uh, but God is speaking to them and he's speaking to us through the story of their life. And we're going to look at one of those people today. We're looking at a woman called Hagar. And if you turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 16, the words will be on the screen, but I'd encourage you to have a Bible open in front of you, whether it's your phone, whether it's a actual paper Bible. Why don't you grab one out, have it in front of you as we uh, read through chapter 16 together. It says this, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. Verse 4. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, This is all your fault. 
I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she's your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Bir Laha Roi, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abraham, Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. One of the really interesting things, and I think really relevant things about Scripture is that it doesn't contain a sanitized version of life. We see messy situations. We see people who, even though they followed God, made sometimes really monumental mistakes. And here we see an example of that. We see Abram and Sarah. You might be familiar with their story. But they were advanced in years, and God had promised them that they would have a son. God hadn't just promised it once. In fact, in the chapters prior, God had repeatedly promised that they would have a son. In fact, God had made a covenant with Abram where he had promised Abram that his descendants would be numerous. And yet Abram and Sarai are here, uh, well advanced in years. And they've been waiting on God's promises. It's been some time now since God made that promise to them. And they've been waiting and waiting. And every moment, every day, every year that's gone past has looked to them like it's less and less likely that God is actually going to do what God has said he's going to do. You see, in the physical, the chances of them falling pregnant and having a child were well gone. They hadn't been able to do it in their prime years. And now here they are as two elderly people. Uh, facing this, uh, I guess for them, this sense that God's promise is not going to come to pass. And so we see in these, in these verses that Sarai goes to Abram because she has another plan. It's interesting, you'll notice what she says. She starts off in verse 2 by saying, The Lord has prevented me from having children. She starts off with that almost to say that is God's prevention, God's reason that I'm not able to have children. So perhaps in God's promise, he now wants us to do something about it. Perhaps because I'm not able to bear children myself, God wants us to deal with this another way. And so she goes to Abram and she suggests to him that he should then take Hagar, Sarai's servant, as his wife. And that with Hagar, he might be able to bear a child. Now we hear that and we and we think in today's 
society. It sounds so bizarre. It sounds so unusual. But in the custom of the day, it was so significant for someone to have a child, to carry on um, their, their family line, to protect them in their old age, to provide for them, uh, to inherit their property. It was so significant that they actually had a number of ways that their society had come up with solutions for people who weren't able to have their own children. And one of these was this idea of surrogacy. And this is exactly what's playing out here. Uh, Sarai takes Hagar, her servant, and gives her to Abram as his wife and with the intention that with Hagar, Abram will bear a child. And under their customs, that child would actually become Sarai's child. So Hagar would give birth, but that child would be considered Abram and Sarai's child. Now, I I think it's really important to note that while that might have been the custom of the day, we know through this story, we know through so many other examples, that God actually often calls us to live in contrast to the customs of the day. He calls us to live set-apart lives that don't adhere to the, the um, human solutions uh, if, if they are not things that fit with God's Word. And so this custom, while it was completely accepted, God had actually promised Abram and Sarai that they would have a child. It was not his plan that they would uh, take control of this and try and manufacture the promise in their own strength. And so in their rush to make things happen, I I hope you've noticed that in chapter 16, at no point do they go to God. There is no point in chapter 16 where Sarai goes to Abram, frustrated that this promise is taking so long. And Abram says, well, why don't we go to God? Let's cry out to him. Let's build an altar as they did at the time. Let's um, really seek him and, and, and say, God, we're running out of patience. God, we feel like we're running out of time. God... Would you just hurry up and bring this to pass? Because we're really, really struggling to have faith. But they don't do that. Instead, Sarah goes to Abram. Abram says, yep, let's do it. And they end up uh, carrying through with it. And we read that Hagar becomes pregnant. But there's a problem, isn't there? Because Hagar, as you would have seen in verse 4, it says that when Hagar realizes that she's pregnant, there's a fallout from it because she begins to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Now, we don't know really why she started to treat Sarai with contempt. Maybe it was because she felt completely used. Maybe it was because she had been effectively given to Abraham as, as um, uh, you know, without her say, say in it. Maybe it was just that um, as soon as she was able to become pregnant, it became apparent that the problem uh, with Abraham and Sarah bearing children was with Sarah. And that, in the, in the era at the time, was, was often cause for ridicule. And so perhaps it's one of those things we don't really know. But Hagar comes to despise Sarai, and Sarai comes to resent Hagar. And we read here that Sarai goes to Abram, and she says to him in verse 5, This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. And so... Sarai begins to treat Hagar so badly, so abusively that she flees. And we pick up this story that she's out in the wilderness. She's out there completely disillusioned. Remember, she's a victim to the customs of the day. She's a victim of abuse and mistreatment. 
She's isolated. She's alone. Remember, she's a foreigner to this land. And here by this spring in the wilderness, an angel of the Lord hears her cry and appears to her and tells her a couple of things. Firstly, tells her that she is pregnant and that she is going, her, her the offspring are going to be numerous, that she's going to have many, many descendants, and also tells her to return to Sarai. Now, I want to note, and I want you to note, that this is not a general command or a general instruction that we should return to abusive relationships or abusive places. In fact, this is a specific circumstance where the promise is made, but then the intention is clear. The angel of the Lord is saying to Hagar, I will go with you and I'll protect you. Here is this promise from God. Now return and this will come to pass. God is watching over you. And so that is a specific circumstance, a specific direction that is made to Hagar rather than a general rule or a general principle. So I want to draw your attention here to verse 13. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me, which in the Hebrew is El Roi. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Beer Lahai Rohi, which means well of the living one who sees me. There's a couple of really remarkable things about this passage that we've just read. The first one is that this is the first time in Scripture that God meets with an abused, marginalized woman. The second thing is that it's the first time in Scripture that God meets with a single parent. And I'd say to you that if that's your story, if that's your journey, uh, that the Bible so often speaks to that. There are so many circumstances of blended families, of mixed families, of, of single parents, of people who are widowed, um, of people who have been uh, feel like they've been left and, and forgotten about. And so it's remarkable because the angel of God takes notice of God takes notice of this woman. But the other reason why it's remarkable is because it is the only time in the entire Old Testament, in the entire Old Testament where uh, anyone, man or woman, servant or king, confers a name on God. The only time because uh, Hagar says, you are El Roi. You are El Roi, you are the God who sees me. And what we can take away from that is I want to um, share with you a couple of points is that uh, he is, God is El Roi. He's the God who sees you. He's the God who sees you. What do we see when Jesus comes? Who does he see? Who does he spend his time with? He spends his time with the marginalized. He spends his time with the tax collectors, with the lepers, with the crippled and the lame. Who does he spend his time with? He spends his time with people on the fringes of society, the ones that feel isolated, the ones that feel lonely, the ones that feel overlooked and that feel shunned. And here we see God do it again. We see God, El Rahi, meet with a woman who is very much on the fringes of society. She has run from her master. She is a foreigner. Uh, she is is um, pregnant and she is alone and she has nothing to her name. But what is significant is that God doesn't um, hold up the same standards as our society. He doesn't hold up the people that we think are, are the most significant, maybe the, the popular or the wealthy or the famous. Um, God is not looking for that. You see, God sees you. He sees the individual. 
He takes note of each one of us. And guess what? I hope you're encouraged by this, but God sees you in the highs and he sees you in the lows. You see, when he appeared, the angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar and meets her there. She is at the very, very bottom. She is at rock bottom. She is despairing. She is crying out. And God sees her. The second thing is that he's not just the God who sees. He is also the God who hears. You see, uh, Hagar is there crying out and it says that God heard her. But we have another moment over in Genesis 21. And we're not going to go there today, but I just want to make a note of it very, very quickly. You see, it's some years later, it's about 15 years later, and Isaac has been born to Abram and Sarah, the fulfillment of God's promise to them. And Hagar finds herself, because her son Ishmael is is, um, teasing and and is hassling Isaac, Uh, Ishmael and Hagar find themselves again leaving. They're they're, um, uh, driven out, effectively. Uh, Abram sends them on their way. And here they are again, this picture of them out in the wilderness and they've run out of water and they have nothing left. And Ishmael uh, collapses to the ground and begins to sop. And Hagar, the mother's heart, she heads a distance away and she also is there sobbing because she can't bear to watch her child die. And as she's there sobbing, guess what? The angel of the Lord appears to her again and it says to us in Genesis 21.7, but God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him for I will make a great nation for his descendants. You see, Hagar again encounters El Roi, the God who sees, but also the God who hears. I wonder what you do in the midst of your despair. Because we can be confident, we can be assured that when we cry out in despair, when we are there lonely, sobbing, that God hears you. God sees you and God hears you. But the next thing I hope provides you with encouragement as well, because not only does God see you and God hear you, but God also intervenes. He's the God who intervenes. We see so many examples of it. You see, at the start of this, this is what Sarai and Abram had forgotten. God had given them a promise, but they hadn't seen it come to pass. In fact, every day that went past, it seemed more and more improbable, more and more impossible. And so they had decided to bring it about in their own timing. They had decided to manufacture it, to make it happen. But over there in Genesis 21, we see that at 100 years of age, when if it wasn't impossible at 86, it is certainly impossible at 100. But God intervenes and he fulfills his promise for Abram and Sarai. And so often we try to run ahead of God's promise. Perhaps he's put a word in your heart. Perhaps he's spoken to you um, and you just haven't seen it come to pass yet. Perhaps it was years ago and you're wondering, God, um, when is this ever going to happen? God, did I really hear from you? God, are you actually going to do what you said you're going to do? Take confidence from Abram and Sarai that he is the God who keeps his promise and he is the God who intervenes. But we also see it, don't we, in the story of Hagar, because as we look back, she sits there in Genesis 16, uh, completely filled with despair and God intervenes 
protects her and makes a great promise to her. And we see it over in Genesis 21 because as, she, as God, the angel of God speaks to her as Ishmael is there collapsed uh, in the desert and she is there sobbing too, it, sa- it says to us that God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So God intervenes, provides for them miraculously in the middle of de- the desert, in the middle of the wilderness, God prov- pr- uh, provides for them. He intervenes directly into their situation and offers them not just comfort, not just a reminder of the promise, but also physical help. And so I want to say to you today, be encouraged during this lockdown. If you are feeling isolated, if you are feeling forgotten about, if you are feeling um, like a victim of, of, of what has happened around you, maybe it's what people have done to you. Maybe it's a victim of what the world has done to you. I want you to be encouraged that he is El Re'i. He is the God who sees you. He is also the God who hears you. And he is the God who intervenes. That is the same for Hagar as it was for Abram and Sarai. And as it is for you and I. You see, he doesn't change. He remains the same. He hears your cries. He hears your despair. And he intervenes miraculously to make a way for you. And so let me encourage you with that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this story. Father, we thank you for um, the the story of Hagar, the way that you uh, saw this marginalized, isolated woman and your heart was for her, that you spoke with her and that she confers this name to you, El Rehi, the God who sees me. And Lord, we thank you that that is who you are, that you are the God who sees, that you are the God who hears. Father, in the midst of our uh, trials, in the midst of our joy, Lord, in the midst of our despair, Lord God, that you are the God who sees and you are the God who hears. But Father, you are the God who intervenes. And Lord, right now I pray for people who are waiting for that intervention. Lord God, who are waiting and they are crying out to you, Lord God, and they have been um, seeking you and waiting for this for some time. Father, would you build in them a renewal of faith? Lord God, that they would be confident, that they would be assured that your promises are yes and amen. Lord God, that you will bring to pass the things that you have promised. Lord God, that you will hear their cries, that you do hear them. Lord God, that you hear and that you see, and Father, that you will intervene. And so, Lord God, we pray that your blessing would be upon each and every one, Lord, throughout this series, as we open your word and as we consider what you would say to us during this lockdown period, Father, that we we would be receptive. Holy Spirit, that you'd be preparing our hearts, preparing our minds, receive from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.